0: The reading is taken from Matthew chapter 5 verses 1 to 16 and can be found on page 968 in the Red Bibles. We have Bibles in other languages and versions available at the back and page numbers for those are on the screen. Now when Jesus saw the crowds he went up on a mountainside and sat down his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled Persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything, except to be thrown out, and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people put a lamp, light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds, and glorify your Father in heaven. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thank you very much, Cherry. Please keep that passage open as we look at this uh, wonderful sermon. Let's pray as we start. <coughs> Lord Jesus, we pray that you would send your Spirit... Upon us this morning. We are deeply grateful to be in your presence and we sang uh, how marvelous and how wonderful it is to be in your presence. But we need minds and hearts to hear and receive and to obey your word. So teach us this morning, we pray, by your spirit, for your sake. Amen. Well, please, as I say, you've got uh, Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount. We're running our way through Matthew. We've come to the first bit of teaching, first chunk of teaching, and it's, a, it's an important, very important chunk of teaching as Jesus explains what his kingdom is all about. Um, I've been away on holiday. Um, I was away last Sunday. I choose my Sundays very well. There was no heating, apparently, last Sunday, and so I was really glad to be uh, in Austria, but I was, uh, while we were um, in Austria, and um, uh, we were staying at a friend's timeshare, so we were very, very blessed. Um, we woke up one morning to, to, to this, um, uh, and that was much steeper than, than it even looks there. There was a guy on the roof shoveling snow, uh, not tied down at all in any way, just, just standing on the roof doing it. And uh, some, as I was sort of looking at it and, and thinking, "What? Well, that's crazy!" I thought that's quite a quite a good picture for the Sermon on the Mount. It's uh, it's all right for some people, but I certainly couldn't do it. <laughs> that's sort of how you feel about the Sermon. It's all right for some, but I couldn't do that. Well, if you are a Christian, this is the life that he's drawing you into. Something like this. It is um, uh, it is a, a glorious life, but it is a challenging life. But unlike the man in the picture who was all by himself, you don't do this alone. And so I want, to, um, I want to talk about the glorious life and the challenging life, which are my two points. And then I'm going to draw a conclusion, which is really a third. But there you go. Uh, that was my New Year's resolution and I've busted already. <laughs> okay, here we go. An invitation to a glorious life. Um, Jesus has come Preaching. You heard last week about the temptations, but now he started his ministry. And uh, you see it in verse 17 of the previous chapter on the left-hand side of the page. Repent, the kingdom of heaven has come near. And then again, he, uh, he, he goes and speaks in verse 23. He's proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, the kingdom of God. This, this glorious kingdom is here. And uh, there's also in the previous chapter reference to the Old Testament passage about light coming into darkness. And so he's come, he's here, he's speaking and he's talking about his kingdom. And rather like Moses, he actually goes up a mountain. Uh, And Moses went up a mountain, he delivered the law. Well, Jesus goes up the mountain, he sat down, his disciples come to him. And then he starts to teach, but he doesn't give the law. He starts with one particular word. And that word is the clue to the whole sermon, I think. It's, it, it sets the tone. And trying to understand that one word is what we spend the first point on. That first word is blessed or blessed. Now, it's, it's hard to get, it's hard to translate, and so um, it might help you, if you want to, to look at Psalm 1. I'll read out Psalm 1, but uh, that's sort of in the middle of the Bible somewhere uh, in the Old Testament. It's page 543, if you want to see it, where the same kind of idea of blessed comes. What is this blessedness that we're, we're looking at? And here you see... A very famous psalm. Blessed is the man or blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. Here is somebody who chooses not to go the way of everybody else, the uh, the wicked, Uh, The way of sinners, the way of mockers, not to sit in their company, not to be with them, but to place themselves under the law of the Lord, to, to, to meditate on that. And then here's the description of the person. That person is like a tree, a tree planted by streams of water, which yield its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do, they prosper. And then it's contrasted with the wicked who are like the chaff and they're, 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 they're weightless. They're of no substance and they're blown away uh, and uh, into destruction. But do you see there's the blessed person is the person who is like a tree that is beside water. It is flourishing. And that is one way in which some people translate this word blessed. And I think it's a really interesting way of translating it. Flourishing are the poor in spirit. Flourishing are those who mourn. Flourishing are the meek. Flourishing are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. If these things mark your life, Jesus is saying, then, then you're in the right place to, 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 to blossom and flourish on 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 this world. And and so it's an invitation to a good life, you see. He starts the sermon not by saying, you need to do this or you need to do that. He says, no, if you want to flourish, then then come into this kingdom. This is an invitation to really live the right and true life. But as you read on, you'll see that this, this Life is counterintuitive. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn for their sin, I think. But blessed are the meek, (laughs) those who don't have any power. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's very counterintuitive. And Again, on my holiday, it's it's informing all my illustrations. This is the last one. Um, On the skiing thing, I, I, I... try to remember how to ski, um, which is (laughs) not good when it's a whiteout. But anyway, I try to remember that apparently the thing you have to do is to lean down the mountain. You've got to lean down. Now, everything in your body is saying, don't do that. It's saying, lean back, (laughs) lean back, save yourself, save yourself. No, you've got to go for it, you've got to go for it. And that, in fact, is what helps you. Keep balance. Well, Jesus is speaking to us and he says, I know your instincts are self preservation, but if you want to flourish, you're going to need to do that which is counterintuitive to your instincts of self preservation. So let's look at the first one Blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, it isn't just financially poor. It's, it's a metaphor, it's a picture. It means that you've got nothing in the bank spiritually. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, if you talk to people about Christianity who are who not Christians, that's most of the maybe in, uh, the, the people out, as it were, in the world, um, uh, they will say to you, look, if I do come before God, if there is a God, they say, I'm not sure there is a God, but if there is a God... And um, I'm going to say to him, look, I've done some good and I've done some bad. I've been great. I've looked after the kids. I've, you know, I've looked after my granny and so on and so forth. And I've done, the you to know, help people across the road and so forth. But I haven't always been perfect. You know, have you, have you ever spoken to anybody like that? You know, yeah, I haven't always. I'm a, bit, I'm a bit of good, bit of bad. But I've got some capital in my spiritual bank. Now, a Christian doesn't say that. A Christian says... Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm out completely. I've got no spiritual capital. I, I, I know what I'm like. <laughs> I know that even the good things that I want to do, I do for the wrong reasons. And Jesus says, look, if you stop justifying yourself and try and say you've got some spiritual good in the bank, but let me justify you, then yours is the kingdom of heaven. See, it's counterintuitive. You stop justifying yourself. Or blessed are those who mourn. Again, I think that's spiritually. Uh, Mourning in spirit, it's saying, Lord, I'm not what I should be at all. I repent. Blessed are those who mourn. Well, they shall be comforted. Comfort ye my people. Says, uh, says Isaiah 40. Speak to Jerusalem, her sin has been paid for. It's a liberating thing to know God's comfort. It's a liberating thing to be honest. You see, Jesus is saying this is the fruitful life, this is the flourishing life. When you stop trying to pretend, stop trying to justify yourself, admit the truth, then we can start. <laughs> then we can live. That's the flourishing life. And you'll be somebody then who will be merciful to others. You will be meek. You will be a peacemaker. So, the first thing to say is that this is an invitation to a flourishing, good life. It's counterintuitive, but you need it. Your life is like a hard ground. And something sharp needs to come through to plow it. But once it's plowed, the fruit, the seed is planted and great things grow. So flourishing. I'm not telling you what to do, I'm inviting you into this life, Jesus is saying. I'm inviting you into it. But secondly, it is a challenging life, it is countercultural. It's not. What people would think is a good life. (laughs) Why be meek? Why why be meek? Why let people walk over you? Now, there used to be a time when people would say, um, and I can remember this. I don't know whether you oldies out there with me. I'm not justifying myself. See, I'm being honest. Um, Can you remember the time when people used to say... um, I'm not so sure about Jesus and all the miracles and all that stuff, but I love the Sermon on the Mount. Did you ever, did you ever remember that? You know, like, people used to say that a lot. I just love the Sermon on the Mount. Can I say they probably never read it really seriously. There was an article I came across uh, in preparing for this by an American, um, she's an author, she's also a professor of English um, in, in Houston in Texas. Her name is um, Virginia Stem Owens, and she's a good writer. She's a very good writer. She's a friend of Philip Yancey. And um, she comes from that kind of group of, of people. And she decided as, uh, as English professor, she would give her class the... Uh, they had to read the Sermon on the Mount and write an essay on it. And uh, she was astounded by the comments that came back. Here is... here. here this is typical. I did not like the essay Sermon on the Mount, it was hard to read and made me feel like I had to be perfect and no one is. Or, the things asked in this sermon are absurd. To look at a woman is adultery. That is the most extreme, stupid, unhuman statement I've ever heard. (laughs) And so on and so forth. She got a massive response from these people. Now, none of them had ever read the sermon before. Okay, none of them had read it before, so they were coming at it as, as you say, biblically illiterate, you know, like first century people would have come at it. And uh, she, she makes this comment, she says, why were these students so angry at what they read and so blithe in their dismissal of it? She said, I find it strangely heartening that the Bible remains offensive to honest, ignorant ears, just as it was in the first century. And for me, she said, that somehow validates its significance. Nobody who reads it likes it. If you read it when you take away the uh, uh, the sort of uh, you know all the st- all the stuff that's coming, when you really read it and grasp it, and so it is genuinely countercultural. Who thirsts for hunger? Who who hungers and thirsts for righteousness? I mean, even the word righteousness is a word we don't use now. It the, w- the only way we use that word is to add a little word in front of it which is self-righteous. But righteousness is is longing for justice. It's longing for peace. It's longing for goodness. All of those things. Who hungers and thirsts for that? Very few people. So it's not surprising then that that Jesus' followers as they come into this kingdom, as they start to follow Jesus and start to find that they really want this deep down, because that's, that's the truth, you really do want this, you, you suddenly find as a Christian you've been born again, this is, you begin to desire this, but you find yourself coming up against the, the kingdom of this world, if I could put it like that. And so you find the very last one, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. I remember um, talking to a, a fireman. he became become a Christian. I said, oh, great, a fireman is a Christian. That must be great. What's it like being a Christian? He says, it's terrible. What do you mean it's terrible? He says, well, now I have to clock the hours I actually do. <laughs> I know everybody else hates me because of it. <laughs> everybody else hates me. So, he said, well, I said, well, blessed are you, you're persecuted because of righteousness. He said, thanks a lot, you know. But uh, what's interesting, you see, is that if you find yourself walking this life, it is counterintuitive, it's countercultural, but it is the true and right life. If you find yourself living this, then it's going to be difficult. And there's an assurance from Jesus in this, that Jesus is saying, look, if it's difficult, it doesn't mean it's wrong, Living in the tension of following Jesus in this world means that you're in the right place if you feel it. If you feel the tension, you, you must be doing something right. Now, that does not mean that you hate, hate this world at all. In fact, actually, what Jesus says is even more counterintuitive in verses 13 to 16 at the end of this little section. is In fact, he says, I want you to love the world. You're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. I want you, even though they don't understand what you're about, I want you to go out into the world as salt, and I want you to live such good lives that people are drawn to the light shining on a hill. So you see, the idea of salt is a preservative. It's a, it stops things going bad. And if, um, if, if something is going bad, uh, you know, the instinct, if you see sort of people's lives falling apart... Perhaps your instinct is to sort of have nothing to do with that. To step away from that. But because you're a Christian now, and the spirit of Jesus is in you, instead of stepping away, you run towards the trouble. You run towards the area that needs help. You go towards it, assault You're the light of the world. You're like a city that's shining on a hill. And and you're shining because you're living this kingdom life and people are drawn to that. How crazy to hide your light under uh, a table or, or whatever. No. Shine and that will draw people to the light. So you've got this invitation to a flourishing life. But you've also got, uh, it's also a challenging life. And I could stop right there. And some of you may say, well, that's great, Steve. (laughs) I could do with a coffee. But I'll use my remaining five minutes to help you say, how on earth can I live like that? Because at the moment it feels like you're the man on the roof uh, or you're looking at the man on the roof sort of doing something that's wonderfully good and taking the snow off so that it doesn't fall on people, but you could never live like that. How could you live like that? Um, well, there's an invitation in the sermon to ask and a command to obey. This is the first chunk of teaching. And can I just ask you to spend some time today, maybe three quarters of an hour, just reading this sermon through and, and seeing how it challenges your heart Uh, Seeing how it challenges your spiritual life, not to just gabble, but to pray to your father in secret and and so on and so forth. Not to be anxious because that shows you don't trust the, the Lord. But let me jump to the end to show how it finishes. So if you turn over the page and turn to chapter 7, verse 7. Here you are, you want to live a flourishing life. You're, you're, you find that you are hungering and thirsting after righteousness. It is a challenge, but, but you, you're hungering and thirsting. If you're hungry, or genuinely hungry, genuinely thirsty, what do you do? Do you say, I'm going to get an allotment over there. it take you six months and you'll starved by then. Or you say, I'm hungry and thirsty, I need a job, I'm going to try and get a job. though well, that's going to take you a while. If, if you're really hungry and really thirsty, what you have to do is to ask for intervention. If you're that desperate, you ask for intervention. And that's what Jesus says here. I'm not going to ask you to try and do this in your own strength, he says. He, f- he starts his ending of the sermon with these three lovely words. Ask, and it will be given you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. He invites you to ask. Now, I think when you, when you read this, what's it like to live in the kingdom of heaven, life. When you read this, half of you are saying, I'm not sure I really want to do that. <laughs> And that's why Jesus has to encourage you to ask. Because half of you are saying, this is going to be really bad for me. This is going to be really No, no, Jesus says it's not. So he tells you a little parable. Let me, let me read it to you. Which of you, verse 9, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, now are to give good gifts to your children, how much more Will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So here's a picture. Your son or your daughter asks for something. Let's say it's their birthday coming up. What do you want for your birthday? I'd like to have um, a little toy that I can put in the bath that I wind up and it flaps and it kind of goes along. And it's you know, like a little fishy thing. I'd like to have one of those. Uh Aha, okay, Um, says the father. The father goes out and instead of going to the toy store, goes to um, a pet store and he says, have you got a poisonous spider that bites? Or a scorpion, let's say a scorpion. That's what a scorpion will do. Have you got a scorpion? It kind of got to be the same color as the toy, but you know. And I'm going to get you this scorpion. So, He doesn't tell the child anything. So there that wraps up the present and all the rest of it, and the child opens it, and instead of this little flappy thing, they put their hand in, and it's a scorpion, and it bites them. Now, which one of you would do that to your child? Can I just say, you know, if you would do that to your child, you do need to speak to me afterwards, okay? You know, we, there are laws in this country about how you relate. None of you would do that, okay? And yet, you won't ask God for things. You won't ask God to live this life, will you? Because you think he's going to say something like, uh, ha-ha, I've got you now. Um, I, uh, I know you hate spiders, but I'm going to send you to be a missionary in a country that's got really lots of spiders. Or, I'm going to really make your life horrible? no. No. He says, I'm going to give you good things. So it's an invitation to ask him, Lord, I, this is a life I feel scared about, but actually it's a good one, so okay. Please, I ask, I seek, I knock. That is the first parable. And the, the last one is just over the page. Very famous. You know this one. Uh, it's the wise and foolish builders. A command to obey. Jesus finishes this whole sermon. And it's been an invitation, but there's a sting in the invitation, okay? If you're not going to take this invitation, what, what's your life going to be like? What's your life going to be like? And so he says there are two builders. They build houses. You know this very well. The wise man built his house upon the, And the foolish man built his house upon the. Hey, that's right, okay. And then the winds, the, you know, the rain came down and the... Whatever it is, you know the song, don't you? And, uh, and the man whose house was on the rock stood, and the man whose house was on the sand fell. And most often what we do with that story is we actually look at it and we say, okay, now what's the difference between the wise man and the foolish man? And uh, in doing that, we tend to think that the wise person, we're all the wise people, we're here, we're in church, and the foolish people, well, they didn't come to church. Naughty people. What does it say in verse 24 and what does it say in verse 26? That the two have in common the wise and the foolish person. What do they have in common? Let me read it to you. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, verse 24. And verse 26, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice. The thing they have in common is they both hear the words of Jesus. The really foolish person is not the person out there who's never heard. It's the person who has heard and yet does not do. And why don't they do Jesus' words? Why don't we do Jesus' words? Because we don't believe the very first word of the sermon. Blessed. This is the flourishing, right, fruitful life. And so I come back to that. The question for you and for me comes back to the very first word of the sermon. Do I believe what Jesus said? Blessed is the person who enters into this kingdom of heaven life. If I do believe it, I'm in the right place and the right road. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, your, your teaching is, is deeply challenging. It calls us into something that we, we find we don't really want to do. And yet, instinctively, because you are working in our lives by your Spirit, this is something that we, deep down, really do want. And so with trembling and fearfulness, we do ask, seek, and knock. Lord, build a kingdom life in us, we pray. Help us to hear your words, but not just to hear them, but to do them. For your glory. Amen.